what is good, guys? It is your boy, the Boston Brit, and also the basketball ass himself, uh, Josh. Josh, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Um, great that you were able to so quickly throw the nickname out there in front of our esteemed guest. Yeah, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know why Josh is called the basketball ass, you, you kind of have to go back a few seasons yeah. uh, to where Josh made a little bit of a uh, faux pas, uh, had a T-shirt on which had Basketball Association on it, but the only bit you could read was basketball and that. <laughs> so it's it's stuck. It's stuck, basically. But um, yeah, as you, as you say, Josh, we are joined by a special guest on this week's podcast. And um, should we bring him straight in? Let's do it. Do it. So without further ado, guys, you can probably see him already on the screen, but it's none other than Drew Carter. Drew, how are you, mate? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, this is the first time I've been on a podcast with two British accents, and I feel, feel a little out of place. I feel like no one, no one's going to want to hear me talk when it's so delightful to listen to you two chaps, you two blokes. I hope that's not offensive. <laughs> it's absolutely not offensive. Um, but I would say that I wish... We were the ones getting paid to talk, so I, I think there's certainly more value in your voice, that's for sure. And but early off the bat, whilst we're on the subject of you mentioning some expressions from our side of the pond, you in another podcast I listened to today, you incorrectly attributed an Australian something as an Australian expression. I think you said piss you off. I know, I know exactly what you're saying. I said taking the piss. Taking the piss. which is Australian, my friends, is it not? I would, I would, I would put a heavy bet on it being a British phrase first, but we won't go into the politics of it. Or I'll actually let Nathan start the podcast. <laughs> I was about to say, if you want to talk about the origin of that phrase and really everything in Australia, we could get into some geopolitical history that might not be the best for your country. So, yeah, that's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think I think our listeners would be a bit like, hang on a minute, what's going on there? But um, we'll jump straight into the podcast. So, Drew, our podcast works a little bit differently. Me and Josh, essentially, we, we run a pub, but our party is in the garden, hence why it's called the Garden Party. Um, we, we seem to mix this up every now and again, but essentially we are in a garden and we invite guests to this party. Every week we have a band list and we have a guest list. Uh, we'll get you this time, um, this week, since you're a special guest. So you have to think of one person, player, anyone to do with the Celtics, uh, who you would invite to your garden party for this week, and someone that you would put on your ban list as well. Uh, it could be anyone, anything. Uh, it could be the refs, could be Joel Embiid, or it could be anyone. So we'll jump into that at the end, but essentially that's how it works. Um so straight off the bat, Drew, what what our listeners, I mean, all of our listeners who have access to obviously the NBC streams um, on League Pass, et cetera, would have heard you um, recently or this season, over the course of this season. But for anyone that doesn't have access to that, who is listening from across the world, please introduce yourself and just give us a little bit of a background on what you do in the Celtics world. Okay, so... My name's Drew. Hello. Um, I am from Minnesota. That's where I grew up, right outside the Twin Cities. But I do have a British grandmother who grew up in London area. Okay. I apologize. I don't know specifically where. I always forget. But I know she has family in Devon. Um, but she now, she lives stateside. Uh, she married my grandpa when she was in her early 20s. He was over there as a pilot. Um, so I have a lot of British roots. So I, I really, I shouldn't have messed up the taking the piss thing, but I do have some Australian friends as well. So I think that's where that came from. Uh, but myself, I grew up in Minnesota, um, went to college in central New York at Syracuse. My first job out of school was in Alabama, actually. So I've kind of traveled the States a little bit. Um, and I'm now 26 years old and I am extremely lucky because I'm doing exactly what, you know, I've wanted to do since I realized I'd have to have a job for a living when I figured I couldn't play NBA basketball. That was probably in about eighth grade when I gave up on the dream of being an NBA player. Um, and so this is always what I wanted to do, be the voice of a team and call some games nationally as well. So I work for ESPN in addition to the Celtics. But at this point, guys, the Celtics are my life because, you know, this is the coolest job I could have ever hoped for. 
not just to be the voice of a team, but to be the voice of an NBA team, which has always been my favorite league, and be the voice of the best NBA team, not only this year, because they are, but also historically the most prestigious franchise. So I just feel incredibly grateful, um, a little nervous, honestly, especially at the start of the year. But I think, you know, people have been really supportive and the fact that the team is so good helps a lot. So here I am and I hope people get used to me because I'm planning to do this job until I retire. So like 50 years from now or whatever. Amazing stuff. Yeah, it's great to have you on board. And uh, many people, like Nathan said, would have heard your voice at this point, but not everybody would have seen you, I suspect. But one of the main stories around your hiring uh, and your appointment in the position is your age and how surprising it is to see somebody as youthful and full of life uh, in your position. Your talent definitely shines through. You, you've clearly you know, got what it takes, but have you heard those conversations around your appointment and your age as you've uh, risen through the ranks? Oh, I've heard it. I've heard plenty of it, Josh. Um, so like I said, I am 26. People seem to mess that up a lot. I think because 25 is more of a round number. Hang mm -hmm. on one second. I got to go. I'm getting the doorbell at my hotel here. I got to put the do not disturb on. Give me one quick second. No worries. 12 seconds later. All right, I'm back. Sorry about that, guys. That's right. uh, life on the road. You know, should I hit the do not, I'm still getting used to this. So I'll hit the do not disturb button next time. But love it. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I've heard all about it. And I, I understand why that might give people pause, um, especially considering the guy I'm following and Mike. And, you know, the, the key word there is follow, right? It's not succeed or replace, it's follow because I know that there's only one Mike Gorman. And I'm not trying to be him, you know, we're obviously different people and have been doing this for a different period of time. Um, I just want to basically do right by him in the job because he's such a legend and has been doing it at such a high level for such a long time. Um, so, yeah, I, I get that people might be weirded out by the fact that a dude who's been on the earth for 26 years is taking over for a guy who's now been doing this job for 43 years. So I understand that. But uh, but. That's just how it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll touch on on Mike and your relationship a little bit later, but a little bit more about yourself. Can, can you talk us through how you got to where you are today? Because like Josh said, you know, being 26 in this position is probably so many kids dream, um, especially working for an organization like the Celtics. Uh, you know, talk to us, you know, how how you got your passion for sports broadcasting, you know, do you have any memories of a younger Drew pretending to do a play-by-play -play on a on, on a game or, or anything like that? Yeah, man. I was always the kid who was such a dork about, you know, stats and watching, listening, listening to the announcers when I was watching the game. Uh, I know this is, like you said, not a stat-heavy podcast, and I appreciate that. But I could also get really into the weeds with the numbers if you want. Because when I was a kid, uh, I would read the sports page in the star tribune which was the local newspaper in minneapolis and my mom would actually quiz me on who was leading you know the american league in major league baseball and stolen bases and i could tell her like oh you know sean figgins of the la angels and like i could be like oh and by the way you know second in rbis is josh hamilton from the texas rangers because i just i don't know for some reason i was fascinated by that stuff and you know i was the kid who would go to sleep watching sports center on ESPN and then wake up and watch it again. You know, I'd, I'd watch the replays cause I was finding different stuff every time um, to the point that, you know, the ESPN logo was burned into my dad's TV uh, when I was a kid. So sorry, dad, but that was kind of, it kind of laid the groundwork for me being a huge sports fan. And, you know, it's funny. My, my mom says sometimes when I was trying to get drew to, you know, go to sleep instead of watching the rest of a sports game, I should have realized that he was really preparing for his career, you know? Um, and so that's, it's kind of funny how that works out. Cause I feel extremely lucky to be able to do something that I'd be doing anyway, but just, you know, to make a living out of it is, is a huge blessing. Uh, but to answer your question about like, where was I calling games as a kid? Sort of like, I remember playing one-on-one -on -one with my buddy out in the driveway and we'd be like announcing. Cause you know how everybody does it. It's like, Oh, time winding down three two and then you put the shot up and you try to make the buzzer beater so we would do that 
but my friend, my best childhood friend, Max, I actually, I remember this, which is weird that it's funny how you remember certain things, but forget other stuff. I remember he was like trying to do the announcing and he was saying our first names. And I'm like, no, dude, you got to say our last names. Like, that's what the announcers always say. It's the last names. Like it's Martin to Carter, not Max to Drew. And uh, I guess I just was always sort of keenly aware of what the announcers were saying. And so it, it sort of made sense that I tried to pursue it as a career. Nice. Did you did you ever have to like when obviously when I was a kid, I used to do the same typically with football though, with with soccer. Uh so yeah. you chat your favorite player before you shoot, and then it's like last kick of the game. And then what would happen is that I would miss. So I would then rewind it quickly. Yeah, exactly. Head and go, oh, actually, no, that didn't happen. Do it again. Yeah, the the previous shot was a practice shot, and then the call <laughs> happened. Right, right. Unfortunately, oh, the, game, the game was tied, so we're going to overtime and we got a chance to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that. Unfortunately, you don't have that luxury anymore, Drew. But uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned the statistical interest that you had um, and being able to get into the weeds of the game, perhaps. Uh, I actually listened to the recent broadcast. Um, I, th- I believe, it, well, as we speak of the last Celtics game, Adam Silver joined uh, Scal and Gorman. They sat together um, for a quarter. And, and Adam... Silver mentioned on the broadcast that he was looking for broadcasters to become a little bit more uh, esoteric and uh, inside baseball in their analysis. Um, you obviously find a way to balance that and, you know, having fun with the broadcast, having fun with Scal. Um, how have, have you found, have you felt that sort of... Uh, keen interest from above that that's sort of the style that the NBA wants and and what uh, basketball broadcasters want at this point? You know, it's a good question. Um, Not necessarily from above. You know, I I haven't heard anything from the league or my bosses at NBC Sports Boston about you need to do X, Y, Z. But I do think this is an interesting year for the broadcast because with Mike at home and me on the road, I think you're going to get something a little bit different, you know, with, with each show. And hopefully it's a good balance. Um, I think the best way to describe what I'm talking about is Mike Gorman is the coolest dude in the world and I'm a huge nerd. So for me, like you might hear some advanced metrics and, you know, like you say, esoteric numbers in the weeds, but with Mike, it might be more top line stuff. I'm, I probably talk a lot more than Mike does just because, you know, I have a lot of stuff on the brain and, you know, that might be too much sometimes. And I, I really am trying to learn from him in that respect. So I think nobody lays out better than Mike does. And I know he's talked about that in the past where he thinks about, you know, the third person, the invisible third person on the broadcast. And the example you're talking about, Josh, there was actually a third person in Adam Silver, but generally when it's just two, um, you got to give that invisible third person time to speak because that lets the game breathe. And, basketball is such a great sport for the natural sounds with the squeaks of the sneakers and the clanks of the rim and the fans rising and falling. Um, So I I do think I can probably do a little bit better job of that. But with that being said, you know, I think Silver's point is, is well taken. Now to me, what he's referring to, and I know Scal asked him about that because Scal is a super thoughtful guy. Um, And so when he heard what Adam Silver said on JJ Reddick's podcast, So just try to follow, connecting the dots here. Adam Silver was on JJ Reddick's podcast and said, I think NBA discourse sometimes can be a little bit, he didn't use this word, but I'll summarize, ham-handed, you know, and and a little bit too headliney as opposed to getting into the details. But I think what he was referring to there was debate shows, if I'm being honest. Like if you really listen to NBA broadcasts, especially locally, um, guys do get into the details, especially about their own team. I mean, you kind of have to, you have 82 games, you got to bury it up somehow. But if you flip on, you know, my other employer ESPN, a lot of the time they're discussing who's MVP and, you know, is Kyrie going to work in Dallas, stuff like that, that, that's pretty basic, but ultimately that type of water cooler talk happens in every sport, I think. And so the reason that got brought up the other night with Scal is because, I think he legitimately wants to know from the commissioner, hey, what's your opinion on how we can do this job better? Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of liked hearing Adam Silver say that. And I think there probably is always more room 
to advance the medium and try to make the fans smarter. Now, the key thing with that is making it digestible, right? You got to, in that, in that sense, sort of be like a school teacher and understand who you're talking to. You can't be teaching AP calculus, or I don't know if, if AP is the, the word you guys use over there, but you can't be teaching like super advanced calculus to third graders, right? You got to do addition mm -hmm. first. And then you can kind of build up. And that's one of the exciting things about being the voice of a team is you can start here. And then by the end of the season, maybe the fan has an understanding of this and they're ready, you know, to move up and up and up. And, you know, for example, if we're talking about defensive tracking statistics, like at a certain point, someone might be comfortable with, oh, Drew Holiday is holding his opponents to 37% shooting. I get it. That makes sense. That's easily mm -hmm. digestible. And then we can kind of go deeper, if you understand mm -hmm. what I'm mean. It's like you can go deeper into the rabbit hole, like Alice in Wonderland style. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that, that's an interesting thing. It kind of moves on to my next question, really, is how how do you, fr from an outsider, you know, me, me and Josh were going to try this at some point. We were going to get on a, we we're going to get a game up and we were going to try and do a play-by-play -by -play together. Um, personally, I think it's an absolute skill and an absolute art. So, it's unbelievable what you guys do and how I don't know, you just build up that rapport with with kind of like the fans and and like you said you know the 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 voice and the way you come across and the way you know broadcasters come across it, you know especially on the play by play side it's it, it's interesting because like you said you will learn from you'll go from this position to this position at the end of the season where a fan or a set of fans may learn something new but I kind of want to understand from an outsider looking in how do you prep for these games like how do you what is a typical setup for for drew before a boston celtics game so what i do is you know I, I honestly this might be a little bit of a waste of time but i have this thing these boards with um it's basically everything i feel like i need in one place easily accessible so Names and numbers, heights, weights, hometowns, ages, year in the NBA, where they were before their current stop, where they were drafted, how they were acquired, et cetera. Career highs, season highs, season stats, fouls, keeping track of points, challenges, all the stuff like I, I want to write down during the game, like to keep track of somebody's scoring, to keep track of whether a team has used its challenges or not, to keep track if someone's going to foul out. All that stuff is in one place right in front of me. And I still use the same template in Excel that I used when I was in college. Uh, and I, th I think it, it works for me. Now, I say I might waste some time because I update those stats every day, team stats and player stats. And it's probably not that germane to say like, oh, Jason Tatum's scoring average dipped from 30.2 to 30.1 since the last game I did. Like, I don't really need that. Jason Tatum's still averaging over 30. We get it. Um but that's just kind of the process I do because I think it it sort of keeps me honest. Um, it prevents me from missing anything huge, any statistical trends. And then that's also where I put, you know, player notes that I find interesting. Um, so like, for example, we have the, the Sixers game tonight, Joel Embiid in his last five games is 65 of 70 at the free throw line. That's an average of 13 of 14 per game. Um, and he always shoots a ton of free throws, but it's actually been more exaggerated as of late. He's maybe trying to fill the void that James Harden left. You know, their their games the last couple of years have basically just been a free throw shooting contest. <laughs> and um, now that Harden's gone, they're a lot more fun to watch. But Embiid is still living at the free throw line. De'Anthony Melton went for 30 last night, you know, stuff like like stuff the coaches and players say post game and then pregame tonight. All that stuff I write down on my board um, and then. Talking to people too, you know, the big thing, guys, is especially like I mentioned, the why this is different from doing a national game is you got to find ways to keep it fresh over the course of the season. And I think when you're talking to a fan base, one fan base specific, specifically, excuse me, there are a lot of people in there who actually know the team as well or maybe better than I do. So if I'm regurgitating something I can find online, someone listening might be like, I already knew that. Like, I already knew that Derek White named his son Daxton and his other son is named Hendricks. And now, and Robert Williams also had a son named Hendricks and all that, you know what I mean? Uh, but talking to the guys and adding that extra layer of detail can really help out. Um, so like I saw Derek's parents at the last Celtics home game against the Knicks on Monday, 
and I talked to them for a little bit and I, you know, found out how long they were in town and all that stuff that you probably wouldn't find online. Um, and so that's a huge way that the broadcast can stay interesting. And we have a unique opportunity to find that information and share it because we're around the team. Um, and so that's, that's probably a bigger piece than the numbers, quite frankly, because, you know, a big part of the job is telling the stories of the players and coaches, because at the end of the day, they're people, right. And we're, yeah. we're telling the story and the most important part of any story is the characters. Um, and so getting a chance to talk with them and learn about them. That's, that's really the most important thing I would say. And and speaking of characters, I mean, the sort of uh, legendary moments in sports are usually narrated by some sort of iconic uh, commentators or uh, uh, play-by-play announcers. Signature calls is a big part of what you probably dreamt of when you were growing up and and, and maybe training to to do what you're doing now, um, creating those moments with the Mike Breen bangs, et cetera. Even a Mike Gorman got it. Uh-huh. Um, so cre- that was so fun to listen to you say that, by the way. Gold you know take. what? I was so self-conscious <laughs> when I was saying it because I was like, it only sounds right in a U.S. accent, but if I, yeah. it would be like a borderline offensive impression if I said, <laughs> got, got it. Um, oh, yeah, don't do that. Just... But you want to, you, <laughs> you want to create those sound bites. Um, so how much thought do you put into that? Uh, are, uh, are you conscious of like not trying too hard to do that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, and, and a lot of people ask me that, like, what's your catchphrase, you know, especially, especially people who aren't really sports fans. They're like, Oh, you're an announcer. What's your catchphrase? Like, Mm. I don't really have one. I kind of think that has to happen organically, but I do have, and I can, I can pull this up on my phone quickly. I have an entire list of what I call just basketball PXP terms. That's what this note is called. And it's just like a list of different ways to say guys are moving, made a basket, blocked a shot, all this stuff. And then there's like an extra, like this is an et cetera page where Love it's it. stuff I kind of want to try. Um, and that's another big part of the prep as well. And, you know, I went to a, a school at Syracuse where I was surrounded by people who wanted to do this for a living. And I th- that's part of the reason why I think that school produces so many famous announcers like if you think about uh marty glickman's kind of like the godfather of it he was the giant the new york giants announcer for a long time in the knicks and basically invented terms like slam dunk and alley-oop uh marv albert dick stockton mike tarico iron eagle the list goes on like there are a lot of really famous broadcasters who have come through there and so it just attracts a lot of nerds like myself who want to do this themselves one day um and Basically, every day of my life when I was in college was devoted to trying to get better at this. Like I I announced a game or hosted a radio show or reported live somewhere basically every day in college. Um, And so, you know, I've tried to maintain that level of attention to detail. And I liked how you mentioned mentioned it earlier, Nate, that it's an art or a craft because that's always been sort of how I look at it. Um, And so anyway, that's a kind of a roundabout way to answer the question, which is, no, I don't really have a catchphrase. Hopefully one day there will be one that, I don't know, maybe people latch onto or I become known for. But I think it is really fun when you can say something that doesn't, it doesn't smack you over the head. And it's not obvious that, you know, the announcer is trying to come up with something, but it's kind of subtle. And uh, one of my biggest role models is is Ian Eagle, who I mentioned. He's the voice of the Nets, has been for 25 years. He calls NFL on CBS, NBA on TNT. And he's the best at that. I um, mean, he definitely goes into games with an idea. Hey, if this player does something big, I have this line that 90% of the fans might miss, but the 10% are going to love it. And there's no better feeling then like when you're Captain America in the Avengers and you say, I understood that reference, it makes you feel smart, makes you feel like you're in, you know? And so there are a bunch of examples of him doing that. But in the NCAA tournament, there was this player on Xavier named Sule Boom, B-O-U-M, but he pronounces it Boom. And Ian went to commercial once and he said, Boom goes the dynamite. And 
if anyone like has seen that video of the guy, I think he was in college doing the sports block and he said, boom, goes the dynamite dynamite like 17 times. That's just hysterical that I and worked that into a broadcast. There are other things like there's a guy named Nathan Mensa who's in the NBA now. And I said a smart play by Mensa because the Mensa society is for people with IQ over 140 or whatever. I'm sure both you guys are in it. So, you know, uh, but just subtle stuff like that, when you pick up on it, it makes you feel good. And, and I think that's really the announcer's job is to make the fan feel good by teaching them something or entertaining them or making them feel like they're in on the broadcast. Got it. Um, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned, uh, it's funny you mentioned Iron Eagle, who I believe is, a uh, your friend's father also. Yes. Um, but the other day I thought I had discovered your potential catchphrase, uh, when you borderline screamed, you bet. Oh, um, no, 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 no. Yeah. I, that's, I, I, that's really a ripoff. You know, yeah. another guy who works for the Nets, Ryan Rucco, who's on ESPN as well. That's kind of his thing and not on purpose, but I sort of picked up on that by osmosis. I think it's a great line. So that's really an homage to him. Well, wow. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And some, don't nice. worry, some, somebody swiftly corrected me that it was a regular Nets broadcast uh, piece. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's not mine. <laughs> yeah, come it'll on. come out. It'll, it'll come out eventually, and then yeah. I'm sure the whole of Celtics Twitter and 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 social media will uh will tell you what it is for sure. So, I mean, we've yeah. had we've had some obviously like from Mike over the years. We've had uh, many rogue ones from Tommy Heinsohn, and obviously now uh, yourself. So we, we will patiently wait for your uh, for your repertoire of go to lines. But yeah. kind of talking about the people that, you know, so you're working with at the moment, Scal is one of those guys. What is it like working with Scal? Because I remember a few years back, I came over to Boston and I went on the uh, Celtics pregame live with uh, Scal and, and Kyle. And Scal was an absolute character and an absolute menace. Uh, so what is it like working with Scal? How, how do you kind of, how do you go about on a broadcast building that partnership with you know, with Scout, I would assume that it's quite easy with him because he's quite laid back and he's quite, you know, off the off the cuff and he'll he'll say whatever. But what is it like? How how do you build that partnership? Scal is one of my favorite people in the world, um, and you know, it's it's probably going to sound like I'm just saying that because I have to, but he he legitimately is like he's one of the funniest guys I know. Um, he has been so welcoming from the minute I started this even literally before actually like when, when we did the audition together um i went up to boston and we called uh game six of the second round series against the sixers last year we were just doing it in a studio in boston and i was pretty nervous because like i've been a big fan of scal for most of my life like i think his his post game after the uh 08 finals is one of the coolest press conference moments ever <laughs> yeah, you know, five years I'll tell everyone I was a starter. Ten years I'll think I scored ten points a game. Twenty years my kids will think I'm the MVP. Um, and so I've always been a huge fan of him, and he's he's just been awesome and incredibly supportive. And you know, like I mentioned, I, I do put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I feel a lot of responsibility in this job because I know the people who have come before me, and I know how important the job is. And Scout's done a really nice job of calming me down I mean we had a kind of like a heart to heart the other night I, I stayed at his place Monday after the Knicks game um and then because I had to get some stuff done in Boston and then you know take the the team flight yesterday and we had a conversation he's like if you know if people are giving you a hard time or whatever they don't like what you're doing like you can't control that all you can control is how hard you work and um just basically what matters is how you feel like you're doing and how you, your bosses feel like you're doing, how I feel like you're doing. And, and he, he's been incredibly supportive. Um, he's also hysterical. Like there, I actually started writing stuff down on my phone that he has said and done just so I don't forget all of it in case I want to write a book one day. Um, probably the funniest moment of the season for myself, Abby Chin, our sideline reporter, who's also been phenomenal. Um, not only at her job, but in terms of, you know, making me feel welcome. Like she's, if I ever have a question about like, Hey, what do I, can I go to shoot around today? Like, when are we leaving? She's always got the answer. 
Um, and the Jim Edmonds is our director who travels with us. Um, and he's a total character as well and an amazing guy. And so we've gone out to dinner, the four of us, a few times. And Scal made a reservation for us in Minnesota. And he said, we're going to go at five o'clock, which I don't know what it's like in England, guys, but five o'clock dinner in the States is basically only what 75 and older people do. <laughs> um, it's like a blue plate special. It's not many people eat that early, basically. Um, and so he made a five o'clock reservation. So we were obviously giving him shit for that. And we got to the restaurant a couple minutes before our reservation. Scal goes to open the door and it's locked. They had not opened yet. That's how early we were for our reservation. And in that moment, in that moment, that was the first time I had ever seen Scal rattled because he knew he was going to hear about it from us for the rest of time. And I was probably going to tell the story on the broadcast and now a podcast and Scal's going to hear about that forever. Um, but it's stuff like that, man. He's so like lighthearted and just fun to be around. And I think he sees the game next level. And that's why he's good at his job. Uh, but I've just had a blast working with him and getting to know him. What was Scal doing making the reservations in Minnesota, man? Yeah, I know. It's a good it's a good question. It's a good question. But he said he got a tip from someone that this place was really good and we should go try it. It was a, a strong suggestion. I will say that once we right. finally got in the door after a couple minutes of waiting in the cold Minnesota air because he made us go so mother effing early, it was a very, very good dinner at, at five o'clock local time. So so you're on the road, as you mentioned, and uh, Mike's doing the home games uh, this season. So you, you joined at a real time of transition in, in Boston. Um, you've touched on Gorman's legacy and the relationship he has with Celtics fans. Uh, but when you do get the chance to do it, what is it, what is it like to have Mike as a, a resource, uh, uh, someone who you have the opportunity to learn from? Um, and if you can elaborate on that, what what are some of the things you've learned from him, not only as a broadcaster, but uh, as just a uh, who you've described as like a really good guy? Yeah, he's he's great, man. I, I've had a ton of fun, a ton of fun getting to know Mike. And, you know, the the relationship Celtics fans have with Mike. I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't totally understand it until I got here. Um, like I went to college with a couple people from Boston and I would hear about the Mike and Tommy show, but I, I didn't get it. Cause I, I didn't grow up watching them. You know, I didn't understand how special that was for Celtics fans, but now that I am here and now that I have gotten the chance to get to know Mike, I 100% understand. And I get why he's so beloved. And it's not just because he's an elite broadcaster and has been since he started doing this. It's because he's an elite person. Um, and I, I've that's been the most fun thing to find out for me is what kind of a guy Mike is. Um, he is so down to earth. And you'd have no idea just talking to him that he's like one of the most famous dudes in Boston because he's just chill. He's the coolest guy in his mid-70s I've ever met. Um, like he'll cruise in in a leather jacket sometimes. And it's like, damn, that guy has more cool in his pinky than I do in my entire body. Um, so he's, he's been great. And, and again, just incredibly supportive, like not just him, but his wife, Terry, who's got a background in TV production, got a shout out from the commissioner on the broadcast Monday. Yeah. Um, th those two have just been amazing. And Mike's given me some good advice about, like I said, laying out, not talking too much, leaving space for the invisible third person, um, talking to the monitor. So just to give people kind of a behind the scenes look. We're looking at the floor most of the time. Sometimes we're courtside. Sometimes we're kind of up at the top of the first level. Usually we're looking at the floor, but sometimes we check the monitor, which is just basically what you're seeing at home. So we know, you know, what the director's cutting to, what the graphics say. We can look at the, this, the uh, monitor that gives us all of our ad reads, which there are a lot because everyone wants a piece of Celtics basketball. So that's how we pay the bills. Um, but when I'm looking at the monitor, speaking to the video, Right. And and Mike and Terry, his wife, told me about how there's actually some psychology behind that. Like if you if you talk about what the viewer is seeing as opposed to just whatever I'm looking at on the floor, then it makes you feel connected. It's like a 
there's the neuroses bond in your head or so I don't even know what the the official psychology of it is but Terry was telling me that and then Mike also has given me little pointers like for example in Charlotte the game cameras on the opposite side of the floor as we are so it's a little bit jarring at first because we're watching the action go left to right but you look at the monitor and it's going right to left um and that can take some time to get used to so Mike's just like done an awesome job give me little heads ups that I wouldn't have known myself because it's my first time doing it yeah I mean kind of talking about about Mike I mean have you by the looks of it he's given you his Celtics blessing uh if that's a uh hope so that's a thing i suppose the uh i'm I'm sure he has by the sounds of it but the obviously you've spoken about what advice he's given you has have you had a chance to kind of sit down with him and talk about any kind of like funny stories that he's had over the years or any memories that he's had with like tommy or or just him generally within the celtics organization have you had a chance to do that with him yet yeah, you know, we uh, we actually met up for a beverage after the Knicks game Monday, um, and it was pretty neat because I was sitting at a table with Mike and Terry Gorman, Brian Scalabrini, uh, Mike Breen came over because he was there with with the Knicks, and I'm I'm looking around, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like I don't belong here. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the midst of legends, uh, but that was that was kind of like a holy, you know, what moment, like a welcome to the, the NBA type deal. Um, yeah. You know, I, Mike, Mike has told me some stories. I, I don't know if, if, if I can recall any of them off the top of the head or if, you know, I'd want to share any, cause he maybe is telling me them in confidence, but um, he, he has just been incredibly supportive. Um, and I think what's cool about that guys is, you know, if you're Mike Gorman, you've been doing this for 43 years now and they hired somebody who's 26 and not from Boston to follow you. It, no one would blame him if you were kind of like, well, what the hell <laughs> what's, what's going on here? But he hasn't been like that at all. Um, in fact, he's been quite the opposite. And I think he actually did say to me that, you know, he kind of appreciates that they hired somebody he didn't know before because it's given us a chance to develop this new friendship and this new sort of mentor mentee relationship uh, that's been really special, even though it's, it's only been, you know, a little over a month now. Um, So I just, I I really appreciate that relationship. And, you know, what I've told you a couple of people, and this is true is ultimately the approval that means the most to me is from him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what a person it is to get that from as well. So I'm yeah. sure, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he has given you that already, just in his head, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and um, you, you said that you are something a little bit different to Mike, of course. Um, I understand that moving to Boston, you're moving to Boston soon, right? Yeah, yeah, in a couple of weeks. I actually applied for an apartment as we speak, right before we hopped on this Zoom call, so I got to wrap that up. Well, fingers crossed, and uh, you've made it clear that you want to integrate yourself into the Celtics fan base um, and be part of the city. But Mike's accent obviously plays a part in what makes him the Celtics voice. How does he sound like again, Josh? Can you can you do the uh, you do the got it again, just so we get it? Well, we're we're quite short on time, so we can take that offline, Drew. (laughs) Um, But uh, how tempted were you? to sort of up your Bostonian lingo when you first started the job? Not not even a, a thought, not even a thought. Um, I think that, you know, sort of the same way you felt, Josh, when you're about saying, got it in his voice, it's, th- there's, there's no way I could do that. Specifically with Mike or with the Boston accent in general, um, I cannot, I cannot pretend to be anyone I'm not. Yeah. Because um, eventually that'll, wear thin and it'll be obvious that it's not authentic and all I can do is be me um there's only one Mike like I said and there's only one me you know not that anybody knows who I am or cares about that you know hopefully that won't last hopefully people will become comfortable with me and maybe there will be a catchphrase or something that people will appreciate but all I can do is be myself um and so no that I haven't even thought about that if it'd be different if there were like sayings that I could you know, work in like I we talked about taking the piss and that sort of comes from working on this Sports Center Australia show 
that I do over at ESPN. I've I've tried to understand Australian culture as much as I can because we're speaking to an Australian audience. Now, I'm not going to put on an Australian accent, although I have been sort of working on that, but I can use Australian lingo because it makes it more understandable for the people we're talking to. And also is like, hey, even though this guy doesn't sound like us, he's at least trying to integrate himself. You know what I mean? So I don't know if this is a British term as well, but they say Buckley's chance down there. If there's no chance of something happening, I can tell by your faces that you've never heard that before. So, no. okay, we can give Australia that one point for Australia. They have at least one of their own sayings that isn't stolen from England. Um, but yeah, stuff stuff like that is is probably the same approach I'll take in Boston. Um, but the, I mean, the best possible outcome is 30 years from now, I'll maybe have my own Boston accent and I'll watch back a broadcast from year one. I'll be like, I don't even recognize that guy with his non-accent. And maybe I'll, maybe one day I will sound like Mike, who knows. I mean, I'm very intrigued to hear your Australian accent and Josh's Boston accent again, to be honest. Um, I think, I think you need to give us a little something, something. (laughs) Oh man. Um, well, the thing about Australia is <laughs> there's different, it's a little bit different depending on where you are, especially in Adelaide. I've heard is a little more, a little more classy, like Adelaide kind of sounds more like Britain. Um, so if you're talking about class, it's class, right? And uh, like trash is trash. But, you know, the rest of Australia is a little more, um, I guess, Cockney. Uh, and so I don't know if I can just do it on the spot, but like, yeah, my mates and I are going down to grab a couple of stubbies. That's what that would sort of be. That's not bad. That's pretty yeah. good. That's solid. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Of frothies. But I, I don't know. I, I, I get like nervous doing that because I don't want to, <laughs> but I'd like the, the accents are so delightful in Australia. It's actually my favorite one. So, yeah. Josh, give us your best. I mean, in the there's only I can only lean into cliches, though. I mean, park the car in the garden. Anyway, let's move on. That was really <laughs> bad, dude. That was really bad. Hey, so. I'm not paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Boston, obviously. What what's been your favorite thing about Boston so far, um, Drew? Is it is it the uh, you know Mike's cannolis? Have you tried that yet, or is it oh. the is it kind of like that? Uh, Next question, bro. Have I tried Mike's cannolis? I've been eating those since <laughs> I was a kid. You kidding me? I love the North End. That that's one of my favorite neighborhoods in the world. Um, Fenway Park's always been my favorite ballpark, even though again I didn't grow up there. But every time I go to Fenway, I'm sorry, I sort of become a Red Sox fan for a little bit because um, it's such a special place. Fever Pitch is one of my favorite movies. Um, every time I visited Boston in the past, I've tried to go to the North end and get the aforementioned Mike's pastry, eat some Italian food. Last time I was there, I unknowingly made a reservation at uh, like a communal dinner place where it's basically like a food hall or like a mess hall cafeteria type. And you're sitting right next to strangers and it's a seven course meal. And you basically have no choice but to make friends. And it was actually really fun. I had no idea that's what I was signing up for. Because when I made the reservation, I'm like, Italian food in the North End, all these places are the same. It's fine. I'll just take whatever I can get. And then we ended up having this ridiculous dinner. And it was a lot of fun. The place was called Taste. So shout out to Taste in the North End. Uh, But I would say generally, guys, my favorite part of Boston is how passionate people are, um, especially when it comes to sports. You know, I, I think it's the best sports town in the country. And I, I would have told you that before taking this job. Um, and especially with this specific Celtic season, like the Patriots suck and the Red Sox sucked this year. Mm-hmm. The Celtics are number one. Uh, there's no doubt. And Boston's obviously a great hockey town and the Bruins are off to a good start. But after what happened last year with them in the playoffs, I think people might be hesitant to push all their chips into the middle with them. I know the Celtics sort of, sort of, you know, choked in the playoffs last season as well. But I think just the the level of passion for the Celtics specifically right now is off the charts. And it's the perfect time to be joining the organization, partially because no one's going to complain about the announcer if the team's winning by 40. So that's a plus, 
<laughs> I feel really grateful to be joining an awesome team that wins almost every game. And you, and you describe this job. Um, it sort of reflects how you're speaking about it and how you're speaking about the city. But you spoke to my friends over at the Celtics Lab podcast. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you described the job as your dream job. And you've already said that, you know, you could see yourself still doing the job in 50 years, um, ideally. So I assume that you're open to staying in Boston for the long haul. Um, should it work out that way? People better get used to me because that's the plan. That That's the goal. I told Mike I'm coming for him, man. He's got 43 years under his belt. So in the year, what would that be? Let's just say like 2070 because I'd like to... I'd like to get up close to 50 years. That That's another part of the exciting job is just the chance to develop a relationship with the fan base and put down roots in Boston and stay there for really the rest of my life. I don't plan on leaving. Yeah. And obviously you've spoken about, you know, uh, joining the Celtics at, at a really good time. And obviously us as Celtics fans, we do hope that at the end of the season, Mike gets that perfect send off and we get a ring just to kind of cap it off for him. But it just feels meant to be, doesn't it, guys? Does. I don't know if you believe in kismet or fate or whatever, but it just feels right. It does, it does. And obviously Brad has done an amazing job with getting that starting five. Uh, well, six. We always say six, actually. Yeah. But um, yeah. kind of talking about, you know, the Celtics themselves, how do you kind of see the, uh, the season panning out, I suppose? From a, from a person that watches them all the time, uh, is there in person, you get to see the stuff that we as fans on TV don't necessarily get to see all the time. Uh, just a little tiny little details, finer details. I mean, how do you see the season planning out? I just think the team fits so well, guys. Like the the pieces make so much sense together. And they went out and added star caliber players who don't demand star level treatment in terms of fanfare or more importantly, in terms of touching the basketball, getting a certain number of shots up. I mean, look at the the Clippers. The Clippers are a train wreck right now because they have four guys who need the ball all at once. And one guy who's probably going to demand a trade because that's what he does better than anybody in NBA history. Um, The Celtics are completely the opposite. You know, we've talked about how I love stats. You look at last year, efficiency as a secondary ball handler. So not on the primary action, but maybe you get it on a, a kick out or after someone else runs a pick and roll. Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis were seventh and eighth in the NBA when it came to attacking a closeout as a secondary ball handler. And so it's not a surprise that those guys have fit in extraordinarily well on a team that already had two all NBA wings who need, yes, need the ball in their hands, but can also play without it. And so for Holiday and Porzingis to step in, White is the best fill in the gaps guy in the NBA, I think who, again, just doesn't need the basketball at all times um, to be successful. And then Al Horford is just a winner. He's he's always a winner. But for him to get a championship this year would be pretty special. Um, So I think you're right that Brad has done an amazing job putting this team together. I also think Missoula is much more comfortable in his role this year, and he's been open about that. And to me, shit just makes a lot of sense dude it's like a perfect equation it's like we're looking at the chalkboard in the hallway of goodwill hunting there's a boston reference for you it just makes a lot of sense and brad is like matt damon in that movie he sees it all before anybody else does i think we're in a good spot for a fun season we're going to make sure we clip this section because if it does happen we'll make sure we've posted that look drew drew said so so yeah, banner 18. You're going to need to make some room next to those jerseys, Nathan, for a, a championship banner, 2024. Yeah, to be fair, I do have a championship banner of 2008 that is in the is in the other room. So I do have that, but I will add another one for sure. Good. Good. But you're throwing out uh, Goodwill Hunting references. You're probably listening to uh, House of Pain or something on the regular, I'm sure. Um <laughs> So you, you're part of Boston and and uh, you're part of the fabric. It's great to have you on board as a Celtics fan from so far away. Um, am I correct in understanding that beyond Boston, uh, you didn't have a passport before this week for the Raptors trip? Is that correct? That is indeed correct. But hang on one second. Let me show you guys something. I, I brought props to the show today. This is the first time... Anybody seeing this aside from me 
exclusive. Bang. We're live, baby. We're, we'll, we'll see you in Toronto. <laughs> Just think think about all the work you can do now to put in uh, putting the hours on your Australian and British accents. You can actually go to the source. Amazing. I know. I can I can go get that thing stamped. But I did have a passport that uh, was only four years old. Um, I had it a month ago. I, I did a college football game in Louisiana and I brought it with me because I had to get it scanned for my new job. And uh, I went to a print shop, got it scanned. I have the PDF and I have no idea where it went. I might have left it there, might have left it at the hotel, might have left it at the airport. Maybe it's somewhere in my apartment still. Maybe it's in my car. No idea. Uh, but I turned over every stone I could think of, couldn't find it. And so I had to get a passport printed and shipped to me in like two days. And I just want to give a shout out to my friends at the passport office in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, because they made it happen. And we're going to Toronto, baby. And Brian Scalabrini doesn't have to call the game solo. But although Abby could probably step in and, and do play by play or color. So they would have been fine. But really, selfishly, I'm excited to go to Toronto because that's an awesome city. I can imagine American Express. American Express are probably over excited right now because you're going to earn all those Avios points and flying all over the world. But right. um, I've got one more question for you before we jump into the special, you know, guest list, ban list. Uh -huh. And that is, obviously, you're a play-by-play -play announcer. I want to know if you could do the play-by-play -play for a game any time in history. So it could be any game, any sport in the world. If you could call the play-by-play -play of one of the games, which one would you choose and why? Any moment in history. Oh, my God. That's so good. See, you offered to send me the questions beforehand, Nathan. I should have said yes because I would be more prepared for this. But, wow, that is such a good question. Honestly, I love history. And so my brain is thinking back to, like, really old times. Um, you know what I might do is the first lacrosse game ever played, which like nobody really knows what that is, but we're probably talking thousands and thousands of years ago. Lacrosse is really the first sport in North America. It's a Native American sport. And the stories of the origins of it are they differ depending on who you're talking to. Some cultures view it as part of the fabric of the earth being created. That tells you how how much of a big deal it is. So I might do that. The first lacrosse game ever, because I love lacrosse. I, I know it's not that big over in England, but I actually got a chance to meet the guy who runs the Great Britain lacrosse program. Um, his name's Baggy. He's an amazing guy. Well, his name's not actually Baggy. That's his nickname. Robbie's his real name, but Baggy's his nickname. And he's an awesome dude. And he's sort of increased my love of lacrosse which is one of my favorite sports and it's amazing so i think i'd probably do that i guarantee if you asked a hundred play-by-play announcers that same question nathan no one else would give you that answer so there you go well, it's a unique one it's a unique one yeah. i think i've only ever played lacrosse once i tried it in university i thought i would broaden my horizons um got absolutely swallowed up and never played it again so i did it once did it once, yeah. went, ah, no, not for me. I am not built. I'm built like a lamppost. I am not built for this sport. Uh, so that was me out of that. And I went back to rowing and 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 football, soccer. That's a real champion's mindset, Nathan. Uh, I, I try, try it once, doesn't go well. See I later. mean, when you, get, when you get hit and then you stand up and you, your head's spinning, uh, to me, that was a bit like, hang on a minute. Yeah. I'm definitely not built for this. Well, know maybe your we strengths. If we ever broadcast the the first ever lacrosse game on tape delay, maybe you could watch that and you change your mind. You'd fall in love with it. Hopefully. I mean, the sport in general. Because I, I used to watch it every. It used to be on. We had like an ESPN channel over here, like many many moons ago, which would have um, like random sports on at like two a.m., three a.m. So obviously, when you're in university, you're sat either sat doing work, um, you know, uh, two a.m. So I, I just I would throw it on and I would just watch any random sport. And um, lacrosse was one of them. So I kind of, I, you know, I understand the sport. It's good. It's definitely uh, fast pace, but it's not, it's not something that I can, I'm not physically built for it. So I am very delicate. So I, I looked it up and it's on the uh, 2028 Olympics. It is. It is. So 
It is. Maybe so, that's that's the moment. Maybe we can do that. It's actually a unique format of lacrosse. It's called sixes, where uh, typical men's college lacrosse is 10 v 10. This is 6 v 6. Oh, wow. Um, women's, women's is actually 12 v 12 in college, so this is half as many players. It's a smaller field. It's back and forth. There are no face-offs. So after a goal, you just kind of scoop it out of the net and run the other way like basketball. It's a very fun style of lacrosse. I think people will start to fall in love with it if they see it in the Olympics. Nice. Yeah. Okay, right. Now we're going to pass the garden party reins over to you, Drew. So like I said, at the start of the pod, we need someone that's going to be on the guest list, someone that you're going to invite, someone that gets their name up in the garden party wall of fame, I suppose. Uh, we've had J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been there so many times. They've just got their own walls. But um, we need, yeah, someone for your guest list and someone that you're going to kick out, someone that's been a nuisance. And you're like, hang on a minute, you're not coming back in. You're on the you're on the naughty wall. <laughs> I have to kick somebody out of the guest list? You have to, basically, yeah, you have to give us someone that is definitely not allowed in the party. They turn up, they've gone to get in, and you've gone, whoa, hang on a minute, get out of here. I just okay. need to say before, to, this will bide you some time whilst you, you think of your answer, Drew, but the amount of creative license Nathan has taken with this concept is <laughs> out of this world. Every episode, there's a new thing. You know, there's a wall that you put someone's name on and then you're kicking them out of the list. Someone's well, at the top moved. of the guest list. Another person you have to ban. Well, we've moved from the toilet. We've moved from having everyone in the toilet to everyone having their own wall. So we're expanding, <laughs> expanding the business. That's what, that's what it is. It's growth. It's growth. So give us give us your give us your guest list. Give us your guest. Who who is going to be joining you at the garden party? Uh, Peyton Pritchard is coming to the garden party with me because I owe that man. Um, the first games I called for the Celtics were in the preseason, and Peyton Pritchard went nuts. And the the first two calls that people seemed to really enjoy were about Peyton Pritchard. So I said, "Welcome back to the Pritching Hour," and I said. Uh, preseason P and people seem to enjoy those. And for a little bit, I thought I might've put a hex on him by saying preseason P and I was a little hesitant to do it because obviously no one wants to be their best in the preseason preseason. Um, and he did not play very well at the start of the regular season, but he's rounding into shape now. So I feel comfortable saying Peyton Pritchard, you're coming to the garden party. Cause I owe that guy. And the person I'm bouncing from the guest list, we're going to kick Scal out. Um, because, <laughs> because Scal, um, he can get in anywhere. He's an icon, a celebrity, a former NBA player. And I just want to get in somewhere that he can't for once. So Scal's out. Sorry, buddy. I love it. And I, I just need to respond to you there, Drew, because some unbelievable pun work on Peyton's name there. Uh, if you search... Prituation on Twitter. The only results you'll get are me trying to make that work uh, <laughs> as a nickname, saying things like "We've got a prituation on our hands." So you can have that for free. I'm not sure if it's already in your Rolodex, but feel free mm. to take that. I tell you, I'm forward to hearing it on a broadcast. You're going to have to drop that in a broadcast, Drew, for us, and then that will make Joss's life. That he will clip that, and it will be forever. You know, I'll get it. I'll get the video sent to me probably once every once every week. Like, oh yeah, do you seen this yet? Oh, you seen this? <laughs> the Prituation. I did have a friend. He he wanted to have his own Peyton Pritchard pun, so he said, "How about Pritch better have my money?" <laughs> um, which is just amazing. But I'm like, uh, you know, if I were in year twenty of this, maybe uh, year one probably can't get away with that. That's a lawsuit from Rihanna waiting to happen, though, isn't it? I know. Especially if it sticks. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was good. It was good. Amazing. Right, Drew, that is that is the end of the podcast, man. Honestly, thank you so much for your time today. I know you have a super busy schedule uh, with the Celtics. And honestly, it's been a pleasure understanding and learning and kind of getting to know you, basically. And I'm sure all of our listeners are going to do the same. And yeah, uh, again, Really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, Thanks so generous with your time. Thank you so much, Drew. And uh, you've got 99 problems, but a Pritch ain't one. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it, guys. That is it for this episode of the podcast. Remember to share, like, love. Um, is anyone going to help me and Josh? And we'll be able to have 
you know, more conversations like we have done with Drew today. So, yeah, until next week, guys. Peace.